So if we talk about uh, my early work, at least my PhD work worked with day length, how many hours of light and dark um, birds were given. But there are other components as well, light intensity uh, and uh, light wavelength. So with LED bulbs, the, the rage now is to talk about uh, light wavelength and, and how that affects birds. And so all of these things are super important and, and they can interact with each other. Um, they do a number of different parameters inside those birds. So again, it affects production, it affects behavior, it affects bird welfare, it affects physiology, it affects so many different components. And, and yet it's relatively easy to be able to manage in a barn once you understand what, what you should be doing. So it's very cool. Probably the most attention that we get out of all of our research, whether it's stocking density or whatever it is, is, is in light. Absolutely. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. Your partner in improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. They believe the following additives are necessary in the poultry dietary. Functional lipids for an efficient dietary energy management. Phospholipids for emulsification, achieving a better nutrient intake. MCTs to provide energy and modulate the microflora within the intestines and enzymes for elevated use of fibrous materials and byproducts. Hi everyone, welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. I'm your host today, Karen Grogan. And uh, today, um, from our neighbors to the north in Saskatchewan, I'm pleased to have uh, Dr. Karen Schwain Lardner from the University of Saskatchewan. Welcome to the show, Karen. Good morning. Thank you, Karen. Great to be here. Excellent. So um, Karen is a researcher in, um, is it, are you guys just poultry science? Are you animal and poultry sciences no, there? Animal and poultry sciences. Okay. Yes. And, and um, how did you get to uh, where you are in terms of uh, researcher, where you've done your education, and tell us a little bit about your background. My background is bizarre, Karen. Um, the the way that I got here, I did my bachelor's degree here many, 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 many years ago, uh, and then ended up working in the feed industry for a period of time. Um, had two children, and then uh, sort of became a uh, single mom overnight, and so I came back to Saskatoon, needed a job to feed my kids, and found a job entering egg data for the poultry scientist who was here then. So that's what I did. And then from there, the, the poultry center ended up needing a technician. So I got hired as a technician. Then I started doing a graduate program while I was working full time. I did a master's degree in poultry science, looking at 
housing systems for laying hens and its effect on welfare and production. After I finished that, uh, I then got hired to manage the entire research unit. So doing the day-to-day decisions and overall decisions and the interface between uh, research scientists and poultry people, the, the barn people, those kinds of things. So did that for a while. Then I started a PhD while I continued to work full-time, so did that. And when I finished my PhD a couple of years later, a position came open here again at the University of Saskatchewan, which I applied for and uh, got my faculty position. So it's a bizarre route that I got here. Um, I always tell students, never say no and don't turn down an opportunity just because you think it might not be where you want to be, because you never know what's going to happen with that. So it's a long story, but a that's very a great, interesting. That's a great story. Yeah, it's been, it's been good. And I absolutely love my job. But I have to tell you, after I finished my undergraduate degree, this is not where I thought I would be. So you never know. You never know. You do never know. And, uh, you know, when one opportunity, you know, an opportunity you think is going to work out, the door closes to you. And then sometimes the next one is even better. So much better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I appreciate your, um, you know, being the mom and multitasking and being yeah. a mom and going to graduate school. Um, I think that, um, you know, k- kudos to you for taking on all of those challenges. Um, that is uh, hard fought, uh, you know, uh, in terms of, of sticking to all of that and juggling everything. So it was busy, but you do what you have to do. Right. And um, I think, I think anybody could do that. It's just, it's just a mindset and you do what you have to do long hours, but you do what you have to do. Absolutely. It is. It is. And I, I think in, in academia, it is, is sometimes, you know, like, you know, you can work on your thesis, you know, at night and, you know, it yes. does offer some flexibility that, you know, like a, oh. you know, certain types of jobs do not offer. So. No, it's, it was an interesting time, especially during my master's when my kids were pretty little and my son is a very, was a very, active hyper little boy and I remember having a, a early computer and he was trying to make it work one day and he shoved a peanut butter sandwich in the hard drive <laughs> but, so there was always something there was right. always something but yeah, yeah. it's good, done. good stories too yeah um, yeah. yeah and I, and I'm, I, I think that it 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 shows your your kids in terms of you know perseverance and and you know work ethic and um so that yeah. is a yeah it's a, it's a good thing yeah absolutely awesome so in terms of um, your research program now um, where what are the what are the main areas that you focus on and and then how do you support the industry there in Saskatchewan we work on a wide variety of areas so it's not one specific we spend a lot of time working on light and components of light uh, particularly for meat production chickens and turkeys but we do a lot of other things our group has done we work in conjunction with uh, an engineer here and we've done a lot of work again on uh, transportation the effect of ambient conditions on transportation for uh, broilers and turkeys. Oh, no, we just finished some major topics on end-of-lay hens and also on uh, egg production pullets. So transportation across all species. Currently have a large project going, which is completely industry-funded, looking at uh, chick hatchery stress and transportation in chicks. So a lot of things like that. And other than that, we, uh, gosh, we have so many different uh, projects and ideas on the go as well. We are doing a, a large-scale project with a PhD student looking at heat stress 
We're working with a company called Devonic in that. So looking at nutritional components and how we might alleviate heat stress in commercial broilers uh, and a number of other topics. So we've got a wide range. And I would say, hopefully we do support the Canadian industry, but I get a lot of interest from all over the world. Um, just caught back from the United States again for a large presentation, uh, spend a lot of time traveling and talking to people all over the world. That's awesome. Um, So in terms of, um, I'll maybe cover a topic that you brought up in terms of, um, you know, where you guys are geographically in terms of transportation stress, I would imagine you deal with a lot of temperature extremes, um, especially very cold, whereas compared to other climates, they're dealing with very hot and trying to deal with, with, you know, keeping that perfect um, temperature range. Um, so in terms of, you know, you, you just mentioned that you just, um, worked on chick transportation, um, any, any highlights from that, that you would, uh, be willing to share with us? Oh, we're, we're a little bit early for those highlights, but in terms of chick transportation, remember that chicks and poults are typically hauled in or moved in amazing vehicles. (laughs) So they're probably, you know, a I'm exaggerating. I'm an exaggerator, but I think they're probably worth more than my house because they're beautiful, very temperature controlled vehicles. So uh, what we look at with the chick transport and uh, my PhD student working on that project is just finishing it up. So we're a little early for data from that one yet, Um, but we're looking more at um, feeding patterns. Do we feed? Don't we feed? Uh, What it does to stress durations and things like that. Again, temperatures are pretty, pretty well controlled in those vehicles. For the other birds, though, we absolutely do. And that's the main part that we look at is duration and effect of either very cold temperatures or we get into the hotter temperatures where we're probably in the the low 30s in that uh, degree Celsius in that temperature and then compare it to uh, a moderate temperature. So, yes. And in terms of like, if, if you're looking at meat birds, um, e- either yeah. either turkeys or broilers, how does that impact um, in terms of like, if you're looking at transportation to the plant, um, what, what's kind of the, the bottom line that gets impacted there in terms of transportation stress? Yes, it's a stressful event. I, I think there's nothing we can say that we can't say that it is not a stressful event. But if we're looking at ambient temperatures, you know, there, there are potential cutoffs and the plant's the plants already do this. So when it gets very cold, if we have a minus 40 day uh, in Saskatchewan, I seriously don't think that anybody's going to be transporting birds, but we'd like to know where that cutoff is. And we'd like to know um, where the hot temperatures is, but it's, it's tricky because it depends on how, how long you're hauling them. So duration has an effect. Uh, what birds species you're talking about. So turkeys react differently to temperatures than chickens do, for example. How big the chickens are um, matters in how they handle cold or hot stress. How big the turkeys are, whether they're toms or hens, which is probably related to body size. Uh, In the feather cover work that Carly uh, did, she found, sorry, not in the feather cover work, end of lay work that Carly did, she found that feather cover. So if we have birds that don't have very good feather cover, that affects how they handle it. So there's lots of factors. And I think some of the work that that we and others have been doing, not just ours, but others have been doing, help to identify that. So every time we learn something, it gives us another piece of that puzzle about determining what can be transported or what should not be transported, those types of things. So it's, it's, it's hard work. That's one of the, 
hardest studies I think that we do. We do stimulated transport. So we use these very cool chambers. Uh, we do the work overnight to periods usually. So it's a tough it's a tough study. It's it's a labor intensive and, and a tough study, but it's interesting. Oh, so so you're doing it kind of, I guess, in a, I'm envisioning in my head like a like almost like a chamber where you're then controlling temperature and wind speed, and that's fascinating. Yeah, when it, uh, before before my time on faculty, uh, Trevor Crow, who's the engineer that I work a lot with on on all kinds of topics, but uh, he and Hank Clausen and uh, a number of other people did work following commercial trucks and so they outfitted commercial trucks or the trailers at least with uh data loggers loggers. that's follow them you know to the plant and those types of things and that's awesome you get such good data from that as well but the difficulty is you can't control anything so you can't control airspeed and you can't control um you know which direction the wind is coming from and so there's pluses and minuses to both ways of doing it we just find here when we can control things, although it's not actual transport, which is the downfall, it still gives us some good information. So I think that, you know, and the more you can, you know, control research parameters, that is the issue kind of with field research, you know, that's what people want to see. But, and that's, you know, sort of the, the, the old way we did things. Um, I think you're, uh, you're testing you know, mechanism of doing it in a chamber, then you can, you know, exactly what, what you're controlling. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then, and then the differences are, are, are genuine, not necessarily because, Oh, you know, it was sunny this day when we recorded it and, you know, cloudy this day. And, you know, there's lots of variables. That's exactly right. It's, it's the differences are related to either the duration or the ambient temperatures that, that we're testing or the temperatures right at bird level that we're testing. So absolutely right. That's great. Okay. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll shift, shift topics a little bit. And, um, I know that a a big part of your work is, is lighting. Um, in terms of, um, maybe let's start with just the basics of lighting. So either, um, meat type broilers or turkeys, I know that they're, they're different, um, you know, completely different species and, and everything operates a little bit differently for them. Um, but in terms of, you know, their production and physiology, why, why is lighting so important? Light is such a this favorite topic, Karen. You're going to regret this because I'll never <laughs> <No>. show up. <laughs> um, it's, lighting's amazing. So we think about uh, avian species and, and for, for at least domestic birds, uh, vision is their, their main way of sensing their environments. They can do other things as well, obviously, but uh, they're very, very visual animals. And vision affects pr- uh, behavior, it affects physiology, it affects so many different parts of their life. And so uh, we know when we started, when I started doing some of the lighting work that we did, um, we, we did a lot of talking to producers and, and finding out what types of lighting systems that they were using and what kind of programs that we were using. And we built off that. Lighting is complex again. Everything's complex, but lightings are complex because there's different components to it. And uh, so if we talk about our, my early work, at least my PhD work worked with day length, how many hours of light and dark um, birds were given. But there are other components as well, light intensity uh, and uh, light wavelength. So with LED bulbs, the, the rage now is to talk about uh, 
light wavelength and, and how that affects birds. And so all of these things are super important and, and they can interact with each other. Um, they do a number of different parameters inside those birds. So again, it affects production, it affects behavior, it affects bird welfare, it affects physiology, it affects so many different components. And, and yet it's relatively easy to be able to manage in a barn once you understand what, what you should be doing. So it's very cool. Probably the most attention that we get out of all of our research, whether it's stocking density or whatever it is, is, is in light. Absolutely. So in terms of your work, in terms of, of day length, um, you know, one of the things that we look at in terms of like welfare parameters is that hours of darkness. Um, what, what is the, you know, we have people that listen in, you know, all different uh, sort of either the beginning or people will be very experienced, but what is the importance of that that dark period? It's amazingly important. So that is uh, the work with that we published on day length was my PhD work. And we did that in conjunction with Aviagen. And before we started, as I said, we talked to lots of producers uh, and, and what they were doing made sense. And it was very normal for people at that time to give birds 23 or 24 hours of light a day. But the reasons were really interesting because they said, hey, if we give this, if we give these birds full access to their environment. They can go where they want to be, when they want to be, and they can feed when, they, when want they want to. And, to. Drink when exactly, they want to. Yes. Exactly. Be more active, do all of those things. And so it made sense. So when we did our study, we used four different treatments, one hour of darkness, four hours, seven hours, or 10 hours, so that we could look at regression lines. And um, we tested that over five separate trials. So something like, now I'm making up a number, but in the ballpark of 30 to 40,000 broilers. So that's right. a big study, but we wanted to be unbelievably confident in, in the data that, that came out of there. And so what we found was so different uh, than, than that philosophy that we should give them long light. And when we provide darkness, it does so many things. First of all, it starts the broilers off growing relatively slow. So if you were to go, if you were to run an experiment and go in at 14 days and weigh them, the birds that have the dark period are going to be lighter. But that's okay because it means that it gives the metabolic and skeletal system some time to develop before they put that heavier weight on. Then as we go farther into the production cycle, what we see happening is that those birds who are lighter at the start actually have compensator gain. And depending on market age, they're heavier than the birds that have constant light. So that's cool. It tells us that, um, first of all, health is affected and, and productivity. They're also more efficient. That's a, a story for gut transit time, which is really, really cool data. But in terms of welfare, it does so many other things. Slowing them down. Uh, means they, they exercise more, they're healthier later on, we have better bone quality, less leg defects, um, more behavioral expression, things like play behavior. So cool when we're assessing welfare. We don't see it in uh, market age, at least the market age uh, birds that we tested up to 49 days in those broilers. They don't play anymore. But birds that have dark in their life where they can sleep do that. The other thing we see it changing significantly is physiological systems. So we think about diurnal rhythms in your body. For example, you eat supper at the same time every day. All of that's driven by hormones. When we don't give a dark period, birds or flocks don't develop that strong diurnal rhythm in their in their in their lives. 
which affects things like immune hormones, growth hormones, a number of other parameters. So it just, it's unbelievable how much turning the lights off for four or six hours, whatever, whatever the producer decides, but how much turning that light off and giving them time to sleep. I'm a true, uh, I, I, based on your research and a lot of other people, I, I think it is extremely important. And I think, you know, sort of, you know, we have learned um, as our, our breeds develop, you know, we, we have to um, follow a lot of these, these things. And in terms of, um, you know, matching that genetic potential that they have, you know, a lot of this just, you know, basic management and lighting falls into one of those is critical. Um, and, and, and even, you know, just slight changes, you know, like you were saying, in terms of compensatory gain, you know, it, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, it's just so cool. We can take um, one of the things that we did just, just out of interest was, was bring uh, people friends of mine who've never been in a, in a barn in their, in their lives into some of the rooms with constant light versus a dark period. And they can say, Oh, look at that. They can see the difference. It's such a difference. It's, it's just amazing. Yet it's still, um, still is not always uh, agreed upon, but right. right. Talking about right. it. Yes. We have to keep talking about all, all of those topics. Yeah. And, and then in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of turkeys, do you see similar response more so? Oh, so fun. I was just in Virginia doing a talk last week on, on turkey uh, day length. In general, some of the parameters are, are similar, such as the slow growth at the start. We'll still see that slower body weight early on, but others are different. So in broilers, we saw so much better feed efficiency when we give a dark period. We don't tend to see that same thing in turkeys. Uh, we don't see the same uh, impact of those longer dark periods for turkeys as we do with broilers, which is interesting. Still, absolutely still require a minimum of four hours, but there's some differences. And, and when I talk about turkey lighting programs, try and remind people that a turkey's not a broiler. And so basing Turkey management decisions on broiler research is not always a good idea, but turkey research is difficult. They do such fun things like the last uh, flock we had, I think, ate the end off the, the watering regulator. Awesome. So they, 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 yeah, they awesome. wanted a bath. <laughs> <laughs> they love the play in water. They have character and they're, they're, it's, it's not easy research to do with turkeys, but it's important. So we've done a fair bit of it in the last number of years. That's great. Yeah. They're, they're definitely not, they're not big chickens and um, they're not big chickens. No. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. They do. They do deserve their own research. And, and I think do. E almost even more so, you know, they, they have a longer production period. Like I think, you exactly. know, even more so things like that, like, like lighting and, you know, yep. Feed presentation, you know, all this kind of stuff factors more into their growth and production. Um, you know, broilers are just a shorter production period, so I think it's even more important for turkeys. I had two master students working on turkey stocking density in the last number of years, and um, one student, Kaylin, was working on turkey toms, and Simeo was working on turkey hens, and even there we see differences. So uh, aggression, for example. 
uh, in turkey hens was actually highest at our very low stocking density, which is different than the toms, which is altogether different than broilers. So it's complicated, right? But yeah. such interesting. Yeah. So in terms of that, since since we went to stocking density, I know a lot of your work is is on turkeys for that. Um, and and what 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 would explain those um, those you know they do tend to separate separate sex rear turkeys. Um, what would explain those differences that you saw? So uh, in Saskatchewan, uh, rough ages for marketing turkey hens is about 11 weeks in that ballpark. For toms would be closer to 16 to 18 weeks. So so right away we have differences in body size. Uh, and as they get older and bigger, they move a little bit less uh, and those kinds of things. For the turkey hens at the very low um, densities, they were pretty mobile, uh, moving a lot, and they they were quite aggressive towards each other. The toms, not so much. They just are not as, they they were moving. Certainly they certainly still move, but not to the same extent that the hens do. So it, it could be related to that. It's possible. That's interesting though, because remember some countries are talking about uh, getting rid of beak treatment, which, which, uh, is going to be interesting. If we go to low, lower stocking densities and, and no beak treatment, that would be, it's going to be, going to be a problem. Right. Yep. Especially, you know, it, you know, a portion of the Turkey industry, important part is whole birds. So keeping that skin, you know, beautiful and marketable, that's, that's part, part of it, especially, you know, for hens. So um, that would be great work to continue in terms of that, you know, at, I feel like as as things continue to pro- progress in terms of you know countries not not wanting um, certain types of treatments. So yeah, and that's that's interesting. We did a large scale study. We've done a lot of work on beak treatment over the last number of years um, for both egg production birds and a little bit work for turkeys as well. And the infrared beak treatment that's now used in many 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 places. Uh, based on our data, is not painful. It doesn't hurt the birds. They 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 they, they feel something. But when we do a force test, for example, where we let them peck at something and see how hard they peck, it's it's not hurting them. So it's interesting that uh, some countries are making a decision based on pain when the evidence the is showing that shows otherwise. Yeah, I I think that that you know that technology is has been you know, a major change and improvement for our industry. Um, yes. And, and, and I think that the, the ability to do that and to have it last for as, as long as it does, you know, for um, pullets and for egg laying hens is uh, broiler breeder pullets. I think it's just, it's really great technology. It is. When I see uh, a lot of reports uh, talking about the pain that that causes, if you, if you take the time and read back to the references that they're using for pain and beak treatment, uh, it's not infrared treatment. It's back to hot blade or some of the other sources that were used even before that. But if you don't take the time to do your homework and read what they're talking about, it's not caught up all the time. So I'm not sure that everyone understands those differences. Yes. Misinformation is every, (laughs) it's still everywhere. We have to, uh, keep putting the science out there to remind um, consumers and our customers and, um, you know, the, the, 
and now it's becoming legislators um, here in, in the U.S. You know, states are 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 putting in welfare, um, you know, types of legislation. So we we have to keep. Uh, I think that's just such an important role of of universities like like yours in Canada and all the ones we have here in the U.S. is just continuing to get that information out there. I agree, Karen. Yes. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. Ivonic Animal Nutrition, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Adiseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. Working with nature and not against it. Chickens fed AX3 Digest consume significantly less feed and water to produce one pound of meat. Successful flock performance is determined during the first 10 days post-placement. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that most improved in barn performance, bird health, and a drier litter. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. So we, we've touched on, on a lot of, of different topics that, that really fall under this sort of, you know, bird comfort and, um, you know, well-being um, umbrella. And that, that's where you've, you know, you center and focus your research. What do you see? And, and we just talked on this, this beak treatment um, issue as kind of a current and hot topic, hot button thing that's going on, um, you know, outside of North America, maybe. What do you see are, you know, sort of the next things that, that we will have to deal with um, either, you know, from your travels um, around the world or that you see um, coming for North American production? Ooh, that's a big question. And uh, what do I see in terms of egg production? Hands so much talk still going on about housing systems, which is interesting. Uh, Innovo sexing in chicks is big time, is big time huge. Uh, I think if I were to pick two, those might be the the top two there. For meat birds, I still hear a lot about transportation. I still get many, many, many questions about learning new things about light. For example. Uh, lots of research going out on wavelength, but um, we have to be careful because some of that is, is, is uh, how do I say that? Some of that, when research is using lux to measure light intensity in colored lights, it's, it's not correct because birds see differently under different light colors than we do. So, for example, if we're using blue lights uh, on some research we just published last year, uh, we had rooms with blue lights in them. And for us, it was very dark. So if we use a lux meter, which is based or foot candles based on how we see, it tells me that's very dark. But for the birds, it was very bright. And so we have to be careful again in the research that that, that light intensity is measured correctly. So that's still a, a major part. Slow growth broilers um, continues to be an area of discussion as slow growth turkeys in some cases and uh, still still is talked about in, in a number of periods. Right now with avian influenza, this year is not as bad as last year, obviously. It's taken over much of the discussion all across the world. A turkey meeting that I was at in England earlier this spring, a major, a major part a of lot, it was I'm just sure. discussing about avian influenza because it's massive. Yes, they, uh, they've had major 
issues there. You you guys have as well in Can- in Canada. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Our disease outbreaks do tend to take over our conversations when we when we all uh, get together. Yeah. Enrichment. Sorry. I just oh, yeah. popped into my Absolutely. brain. Lots of talk about enrichment. Still lots to learn in enrichment, um, but there's lots of talk about it. It's interesting. What, what do you think about, um, again, on, on, on light, what do you think about natural daylight and kind of um, returning to windows or open-sided barns? Um, what, what do you see as the, the advantages there? Um, and is that something that will continue? That's such a good question. So uh, we do not have a barn with windows in it. So I haven't done any research in that area, specific research. But I think, you know, if you've gone and checked out uh, livestock light bulbs, they're incredible. The things that we can do with light inside of a barn are amazing. Uh, and when we can do that, we we get away from the problem of very bright, you know, I don't know what, 5,000 lux spots on the floor where birds may congregate to and uh, pile on one another when we don't have that. Lots of interest in the turkey world with UV light, but we can provide that with light bulbs if we if we needed to now. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, lots of the reasons that I hear that people like windows are for people, not necessarily the birds as much, but this is mostly hearsay for me. And as I said, I haven't had the chance to work with that, but it's, it's interesting. I think it is a, it's, it's like the same, you know, access to the outdoors for, you know, like organic type production. It's very, I think it's a consumer customer perception of, Oh, they can see outside. It has to be better. I was trying to politely say the same thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, right. I, know, I have no, I have no problem saying, you know, Good. and we do a lot of things for consumer, you know, absolutely opinions. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't, I, you know, the, when I first started traveling a lot in the States, uh, so much discussion about open-sided barns and, and potentially windowed barns. Uh, I think that's going more to the direction that we have here, which is closed barns for, for lots of reasons, for bio, biosecurity. So much better reasons, for biosecurity. Oh, so, so much better for yeah. biosecurity, but it's easier for temperature control. Yeah. Um, you know, Especially uh, you guys' climate in terms of cold and you know, oh, the, yeah, yes. you, you've got to have solid walled barns. We do. I did a talk. I don't remember which talk it was for somebody. And they had asked why, why we have solid sided barns. So I clicked, uh, did a snip of the temperature from the night before and Saskatoon hit minus 52 yeah. degrees Celsius. Crazy. So Crazy. open sided barns aren't going to no. cut it. No. I mean, I think even in, in our temperature control inside of our housing has come such a long way. Um, you know, Amazing. and backup yeah. electrical systems and, and all of those things that you used to worry about, you know, we, right. we, we, we have uh, methodology to keep birds so much more comfortable. Um, so totally def- agree. Definitely. Um, you know, the way forward, uh, you know, hopefully um, you know, we never know what, what's going to be the next thing, you know, sort of the next um, you know, ideas that get passed through our, our industry of, of what, how consumers want, uh, want things produced, um, Absolutely. based in science or not, um, you know, we can just keep, keep trying to educate them. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the important part that based in science, I had written that down on my notepad in front of me because, uh, that's important. Yes. I, I think that we just keep have to, we just have to keep having conversations, 
um, and, and conversations with, with the right groups of people. You, you had brought up, you know, sort of this future thing um, in terms of, um, you know, sort of sexing of embryos. Um, I, I saw recently they were highlighting work coming out of Israel in terms of trying to manipulate the, the embryos, um, you know, during development so that, you know, they would all hatch as female chicks. Um, it was just amazing technology, um, you know, if we can get to that. Yes, we we had a speaker. That's the Golda Egg, I believe you're talking about, correct? Yeah, he uh, spoke, one of the scientists on that project spoke at Poultry Science. It was a really interesting talk, um, yet there's some pushback. Is, is that going to be, you know, genetically modified? I, I have does no idea. Right. But it's yeah, where does that fall technology-wise? I yeah. don't know. I don't yeah. know. And uh, so there's... There's always questions, but right? It was an interesting presentation. I'm really glad I heard it. And and there, you know, there's other technology uh, being used in Europe in terms of, you know, actually, you know, extracting a sample from the egg at transfer, determining the sec, and then then the male um, embryos, um, you know, don't go on to continue incubation. Um, again, just amazing technology to amazing. to yeah. uh, deal with those standards that are that are coming in the EU. Um, exactly right. Yes. Uh, and in terms of <clears throat> maybe we'll go, you know, sort of outside of a poultry topic. Um, oh. oh, no. Like uh, <laughs> what what, you know, sort of like, a, you know, outside of poultry things, what uh, what keeps you busy? What entertains you? Um, do you have current things that you read or watch or listen to? That's a very good question. Um or you're like me and you have no free time and you don't really know what that is. <laughs> I'm pretty much there. I, I'm, I, I work a lot. That's for sure. Um, I am been competitive all my life and my husband introduced me to golf and oh. I will beat him. I will yeah, beat him. Do it. Do it. I love it. How, how many months out of the year can you golf in Saskatchewan? Not very many Not very months. Many, so, yeah. so we're at August the 10th today and I've made it out three times this year. So it's, it's three more than zero, but it's not very many. Uh, my husband's also a workaholic, so the two of us work a lot. But I I am lucky in that I travel a lot for my job. I get It's pretty cool to be invited to go to different places and, and uh, talk about your work. Uh, week after next, I'm off to Germany to talk with them about turkey beak treatment, which is fun. Just got back from Virginia. It's, it's fun, right? And they, so are you going to that turkey meeting in Berlin? Is that the one you're going to? Is it a different meeting? This one is a different one. Okay. You're talking about Dr. Hafez's <laughs> meeting? Yes. Yes, I have been there. Do they still do times. that meeting? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't okay, think, I so. think so. I think he's said. <laughs> yes. When we're not on the air sometime, we'll have a discussion about that last time I went to the meeting. <laughs> I was invited to that meeting in the early 2000s. It was entertaining. Yes. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> well, safe travels to Germany. And um, thanks for continuing to educate all of us on, um, you know, all these different topics and well-being. And we are really, um, it was a joy to have you on the show today. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening in to the Poultry Podcast Show. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.